What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. La 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 the inner wealth podcast La 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 the inner wealth podcast La 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 the inner wealth podcast You know what day it is in the wealth podcast meditating give So manifest the greater this And things all good cuz I say it is Investing in inner wealth real generational wealth is mental health It's an inside game no toxicity let's talk and more listening Ladies and gentlemen, and now introducing David McCullough, founder of Inception, the first mental health gym. La 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 la, inner wealth podcast. La 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 la, inner wealth podcast. La 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 la, inner wealth podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Inner Wealth Podcast. I got a special guest in the building. Of course, they are all special. <laughs> but I this one special one who I've met uh, uh, it's almost two years now, I think. It has been. Yeah, that, that went by fast. It did. So, Sasha, Nicole, what up, though? What up? What I'm up? super excited to be here. I'm the super special guest. Super <laughs> special. Where are you from, anyway? D.C. D.C.? Born and raised? No, no. I actually born in an earlier part of my life, raised in Anchorage, Alaska. My dad was military. Anchorage, Alaska. How was that? It was. It's a beautiful place. Great seafood. I mean, people think that when they think Alaska, they're like, oh, it's just Eskimos and it's so cold. But but no, it's not. The The cold is dry cold. Okay. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of adventure, a lot of mountainous things to do. But it's a beautiful place. Yeah, a friend of mine showed me um, some pictures there. She lived there as well, mm-hmm. uh, military. And I was like, I was expecting to see, uh, like you said, igloos <laughs> and polar bears. And it was actually green. Yeah. It was actually like foresty. Exactly. But doesn't it have like a high depression rate there? It, does. From like, it actually has one of the highest depression and suicide rates as well as meth. And that, is that because of uh, the darkness? The, the darkness. How long? Six months. Wow. So you get like the six months of darkness, six months of lightness. Why do we live there? 
I don't know. Like, <laughs> like you wonder, like, how do people get to where they got to? Like, what, how did y'all get to Alaska? <laughs> I mean, even sometimes people come to Michigan. I have some of my friends because I lived in South Florida for six years. They'll mm-hmm. come up here like, how are y'all inhabiting this place? Like, why? Why are you? Why are you especially in the cold. You right. Know? So there was a movie based on like, uh, like vampires. You ever seen that? It was in Alaska and it was like. No. Yeah. But now I'm going to go Google it and find out and yeah. see what so it's like. So it was like, you got to think, what's the thing that kills vampires? It's light. So if you in six months of darkness, you kind of screwed. You got to hide. Oh, yeah. You got to hide out for six months. Right. Yeah. So that's like, so that's like one of those things where it's like seasonal depression last a very long time. Absolutely. Like, how are you going to get out of that? So how long did you live there for? So I lived there the earlier part of my life, so probably until I was about, like, four. Oh, okay. So that wasn't... Yeah. So then you moved to D.C.? Yeah, drove. We drove to D.C. from Alaska. My mm. dad's born and raised in D.C., and then I spent most of my life D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Was well, Dave, Dave Chappelle ain't from D.C. He's from Ohio, right? No, he's he from just D.C. Lived. He, lived he just Ohio. lives he's in Ohio, from yeah. From D.C., yep. yeah. Yeah, and went to school in D.C. Okay. And how was that, growing up in D.C.? Uh, different. I mean, so I went to school in Maryland. I went to school in Virginia. I mean, they're, we all call it the DMV. In a lot of ways, they're interconnected, but different. Um, being in the city, uh, D.C. at that time, you know, it was known as Chocolate City. Mm. And, you know, there was just a lot of just influential, like, black business, black art. I mean, it was it was the Chocolate City. And uh, the construction and the gentrification came. Was that like Atlanta before Atlanta? It was like the Atlanta before Atlanta. Like everybody mm. loved D.C. And then you had Howard, you know. So right. it was a different place. And now you come into D.C. and it's almost like the Soho District in New York. When So you've, you've been to a lot of cities in the States, I would have. you say? And your your podcast is American Therapy, right? Yes. And that's really kind of based on mental health, surrounding mental health. Surrounding mental health for in the black community. So we really, we, we jump from one place, Alaska, to D.C. Like, what have you noticed from city to city? Like, if you spent any time there, how are, like, collectively people's mental health? So it's funny, my mom um, lived in uh, Seattle for a long part of her life as well. And so mm. I would visit there a lot. And Seattle actually has one of the highest rates of depression and suicide. It's a rainy and season there, rainy. right? It rains all the time. Um, so I, it's definitely a difference in places when you go to, like you said, from a D.C. to a New York to a Virginia, because collectively, when you think about just the the culture in general, even you go somewhere like Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of these places, D.C. is because it's such a city, there's more talk. There's a little bit more openness about the mental health and things that are going on, but still, you know, not quite as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you go to somewhere like Alabama, when you go somewhere like Virginia, this isn't. This isn't on the top of people's tongues, and and the way that they conduct themselves is definitely not in the same place of meditation or healing as, mm. like, let's say Denver. Denver yeah. is all about you holistic. know holistic. Mm-hmm. So same it, way with Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. Arizona is another place. New Mexico. Yeah, when I started doing everything I was doing, I mean, obviously my um my first technology I got was based out of Arizona. So okay. when you went to Arizona, everything wacky uh, alternative was there. Yeah. And or or California, and I'm in the Midwest doing what I'm doing. Right, and it's like, what are you doing? Right, right. <laughs> There's not the same level of open mindedness. Yeah, why do you think that is? You think you think it has to do with something with the weather as a as a piece? I think in certain areas the weather definitely because then you think about like the Detroit, the Chicago's, the snow, mm, Iowa. I lived yeah. in Iowa for some time. Iowa. Yep. How was that? Um. <laughs> 
it is nothing to do in Iowa but go to the gym um, and go home. <laughs> is, that, is that why a lot of, because you said something about meth in Alaska. Is that, when you go to these smaller towns and the weather's not good, do a lot of people just get so bored that they're trying to escape? Mentally, emotionally. Do you think that's what it is? I think that when you don't have a lot of options of something to do, you definitely go to something that is a a place of comfort or solace for whatever it is that you're going through. Whereas like when I'm in D.C., Mm. there's so much or, you know, when you are in Atlanta or I love Houston, there's so many things that you can get yourself into to escape that your escape could be you're always out rather than you're doing meth. So Mm. I think it's everyone finds an escape in a different way. Yeah. During a pandemic, when things got very slowed down, I was loving it. And it got to the point where my days became, I didn't know what day it was mm-hmm. after a while. Because um, Inception was shut down for like five months. And I did stuff online here and there. But I got so slowed down, I literally felt like I could see why people would lose their minds. <laughs> like things being so slow, like you're like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, it made me think of, because a friend of mine grew up in a small town and it was high drug usage in that type of environment. And it's just, you know, I, I wonder, is that normal for people to, you know, gravitate to these types of things because we're so slowed down and it's just like, you don't know what to do with yourself. Right. Like having some type of purpose really is helpful in life. The hard part is finding the purpose. You think so? I think so. I think a lot of people don't take the time out to even think about what their purpose could be. What do you think about purpose? Do you think it's something you find or you think it's something that's built inside of you? I think that grit is something that's built inside of you. I think purpose is something that you have to discover. And I think you discover it by doing different things, learning different things. And I think that it will, it it kind of, it comes to you or you're able to formulate it. I don't think that there's like, this natural, like, th- like this was your purpose, this is your purpose, I think, mm. like, you develop that purpose. Yeah, I would say so. I think you uncover it from different experiences, and you find out. I think if you find, when you find your gifting, mm-hmm. it's easier to find your purpose. Right. Do you know what my purpose is? You know what I say what my purpose is? No, what is to it? To be happy and to create. Okay. That's, like, broad. Like, it's creation, broad. creation. I can be creating anything, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just being happy. You know, uh, be, before it was like, you know, I want to, you you create purpose and you do this very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so broad. And it's like, not so broad, but it's so niched down that it keeps you in a spot where it's like, you can't do anything else. Like my purpose is to be a singer <laughs> or an NBA athlete. Right. And then you're not a singer or NBA athlete anymore, then who are you? Exactly. Because your purpose is gone. Like once they retire and you see the levels of depression and other things that happen because they've never considered what other purpose they could have or do. Exactly. So for being a creator and being happy, it's like, well, it's a lot I can do surrounding both of those things. You think there's a difference between happy and being in joy, having joy? I think they're all they're all words that all kind of stem from the same foundational thing. Is t- typically I look at it as two different love and fear. Mm-hmm. Those are foundational words. It's like an open and closed system. Love is open, fear is closed. Right. And joy, happiness can open. Love opens you up to all those things. Right. But fear closes you down. So the words, you know, we come up with these words to describe how we feel about things, but in they're still kind of very in a similar s- spot. And when I mean happiness, I don't mean like walking around like, hidey ho, neighbor. Like, you know, <laughs> like that level of happiness. But so, just at a state of peace. 
that level yeah. of happiness. Yeah. I read this book called Conversations with God and he Neil Donald Wash. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And his concept was that everything in this world is based off of love or fear. Like Every single thing. And mm-hmm. he literally was like, no matter what you do, no matter how you act, no matter what it is that you're choosing, it's all rooted in love or fear. And I kept challenging, like, nah, there's more to that. Mm. But then I started, like, every single thing that would happen, I would say, was that in love? Was that in fear? And that was his whole philosophy about it. Listen, it is that it's that simple. <laughs> right. I mean, even uh, Bruce Lipton talks about that. Because when we start looking at, when we talk about trauma, mm-hmm. right, trauma in itself is an event. The response creates that open and closed loop. Right. Trauma shuts you down because trauma is going to fear mode and to survive the threat. But when it's done, if you don't open back up and you stay closed down for long periods of time, you start having all of these with the symptomology. I got we talked about ADHD, mm-hmm. anxiety. You can go down a whole rabbit hole, and and the medical system has capitalized off of us being stuck in survival states. Like, is your body just using all these resources for survival? But it's not something wrong with you. Like, your body is like amazing, mm-hmm. and it's doing what it's supposed to do for protection. The problem is you stuck. So you went to Inception yesterday, right? And I Inception did. opens you up. Did you feel an opening up? I felt like, like I remember getting in the car and I was like, hmm, I feel so at peace. <laughs> just, I just felt calm. I felt uh, just a state of zen, you know. In those states is love. That's what it is. It opens you up. Now, when you go back into your environment, it says, do I need to go back into shutdown? Mm-hmm. You know, that's epigenetics. It's an open and closed system, really. So can we control mentally preventing from going back to that state, to that environment, to that survival? I don't think it's about control because you don't you're not getting rid of you're not getting rid of your survival response. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is like the animal in a while who doesn't have post-traumatic stress. Right. Imagine. Imagine uh, because going to get food as a animal, that's you can be you can be traumatized. So you get out there, you're a gazelle, you get away from a lion and you discharge it, mm-hmm. get it all out of your, bo- your body, and you eat. You run 100 yards up, and you eat again. You don't have post-traumatic stress. So for us is, after the event, did we regulate our nervous systems and come back down to normalcy, like, released all of that? Were you not still having the same symptomologies or thoughts and things of that nature after that? So I think there's processes that happen to do that, but it's not a control like we think. Because we think we're in control of certain things. Yes. Like, if you were in control of everything, but like, think about your body. Like, how much of that are you consciously controlling right now? You'd like to think that you're controlling more of it than you actually are, or that you can train yourself to control it. Unconsciously, your body can learn things and adapt to things, but consciously, we're not. We're in control of, I think, about when consciousness, about 3%. But do you think that you can train yourself to have a higher level of consciousness? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not even, I don't think it's a train, but that's a good, that's a, it, it's not really trained, but it's a, it's an open system again. Okay. It's open. So you think the openness is part of the, the training? Yes. Okay. Yes. Open to possibilities. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, when you. 
when you live life and you think you, you know all possibilities, you collapse all possibilities. Nothing new can come in because in your belief, that's just, that's, that becomes true, right? It's yeah. like epigenetics. Mm-hmm. It's like the belief. You ever heard, you ever read Bruce Lipton's Biology Belief? I haven't. Oh, you got to read when, that. And when you said his name, I was like, I'm going to go look that up as soon as it Yeah, leave. Yeah, it's about, it's about literally our belief drives function just about everything. So do you think that goes in line? So I was having this conversation where we talked about the level of um, talking about belief in terms of how big you think mm-hmm. of what you believe that can happen. And I'm in, I had made a, I was talking to star with the co-host from mm-hmm. American therapy and I was telling her, and this was like a year, a few years ago. And I was like, Oh, I just want to clear six figures. I want to do this and want to do that. And she said, I want to clear a million. And I was like, I didn't even think big enough to even think that, that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, I have this whole concept of, like, how big can I think to open the door of, like, everything that could happen? And, I and like, but I've it's rare that, like, our mind, a lot of us, like, we don't think in that way. Because we're around small thinkers. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. when you hang around big thinkers, you start thinking totally big. And I had, be, it was a part, point in Inception where I was, like, really like not doing well mm-hmm. and i'm like me and my mom are like i don't want to do this anymore uh-huh. and what we didn't want to do was be confined to this little old location we had in Farmington hills i appreciate the location and all that but it was like and i met i met a guy his name is rovin that's one of my homies and rovin is doing He's doing numbers. Mm-hmm. Dude, just online. He don't even have a brick and mortar business. Every time I'm seeing him, though, he's like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And- What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And when we would get in the same vicinity and we would have these conversations, he felt like what I was doing amazing. I felt like what he was doing was amazing. And he told me, he said, I said, I, I need to raise about, I need to raise about half a million dollars. He's like, that ain't no money. He's like, VCs don't, no, VCs want 30 time multiplier. So if so, they're going to invest something, they, it has to have a 30 time multiplier. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my little old location. 
After that, I walked away and dreamed so big. <laughs> I was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I literally can see it. And that's when Inception started to change around. When wow. I changed my perception of what was possible. Mm -hmm. Literally, Sasha, they're, they're selling $19 million NFTs. That's a digital image. Mm -hmm. The idea around what's value is being turned upside down. It's virtual real estate for $20 million. You, have you seen this? I've seen it. It's, it's, challenge, it's, it's challenging our beliefs. Of it's what? like an arcade now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's hard because there's not a lot of people who are willing to... Not, I, won't, I don't want to say that, that there's not a lot. I've been having a hard time coming across those to think that way. Because you actually, I think, where I've had to reprogram my mind to even think that way. Mm -hmm. Like, it, no one ever taught me that. It wasn't natural. It wasn't something that I just, like, I mean, I, I had certain things as a child that I thought a little bit differently, mm -hmm. but it really was like a development of me reprogramming what I believed to be true. And, and so you've been going down a journey of reprogramming yourself because we just talk about the whole weight loss journey. You mm -hmm. lost like 100 pounds, right? Right. You had to, you had a mindset. Yeah. So what did you do? To shift that? I mean, so I was always an emotional eater. Um, mm -hmm. And I was telling you, you know, we were talking briefly and I said I, I felt like I was I had a food addiction mm -hmm. because food was solace like growing up. Mm -hmm. um, my dad's side of the family, like everything was about food, everything that you felt happy, sad. It was food. And then and then it was um, the impact that it could have, whether whether it be um, from a health standpoint or whether it be from a weight standpoint, it was always deemed as like, oh, you know, it's acceptable. And so I, I didn't know anything different. Um, and that's all that I knew. And so as time went on and dealing with that weight and the cruelty that people are cruel to people who are obese. Like mm. it just it just is what it is. I mean, mm. the the perception uh, or the stereotype, um, all of those things. And so I was saying that, I you know, now I would approach the table as like I have an addiction. So how can I control the way that I consume? Mm. And I felt like. If I looked at it as when I'm around something, it's almost like an alcoholic. If you are around alcohol, like you, you have to be conscious of are you going to take a drink are you, or, or not? Are you going to know your limit or not? And so I always have to approach it from like understanding my limit and, and actually even listening to my brain because the brain signals when like you're full. Yeah. And the, most of the time <clears throat> with the people who are obese or significantly overweight, they don't listen to the brain signal. Like mm. because of food tastes good. And when it tastes yeah. really good, you don't always listen to the signal because you're 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 not eating to just survive. You're eating to do what? I mean, essentially, you're supposed to eat just to survive. But when you're not doing that, you know, I think you're you're eating in gluttony. You're eating in, in love or, or what you feel like is love. Like we, we put so much mm comfort into into those things and so that's why i said you know i felt like it was an addiction mm -hmm. yeah and that's and so that's where i challenged the belief right surrounding that idea and 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 because in society we make things a good or bad like drinking good or bad or you know we call it addictions and right now we all have addictions and mm -hmm. they've been changing i call it stimulus porn okay so food is just stimulus. Mm -hmm. So what what is the basic thing that I'm trying to get? Mm -hmm. What is the outcome? I'm trying to move from pain to pleasure or from move from one pleasure state 
to another pleasure state. Right. Right. And you find it, it's not just with food. It's shopping, it's internet, scrolling. Like after a while, dopamine. Like you have dopamine burnout. You cannot you cannot eat the same amount and, and experience the same type of dopamine release because you're probably depleted. Right. So what do we do? I need to smoke more. I need to eat more. I need to try a dish that got even more ingredients. So you keep going down that road and it's like a bad trap. Yeah. So it's not even just, you know, I guess the idea of addiction that that can be considered addiction, but it's really like you don't have the right tools to self-soothe or to regulate properly. Yeah. I mean, and to your point, you know, now from the maintenance standpoint of Mm it, when let's say I'm feeling depressed or or whatnot and, and I've had to also reprogram my first response not being something of what brought me comfort, which was food. Mm. So, you know, feeling down like, oh, I want something sweet or, you know, I'm feeling Mm. happy like, oh, I want to go to this restaurant. Like having to find like different outlets that like how you said it it literally is like it's this dopamine or it's this high and it's like and you and you use it as a coping mechanism. Mm hmm. Have you found ways to, um, well, how does it feel to sit in the discomfort? Because you have to learn to sit in the discomfort versus reach for something, right? So how does that feel? It's... um it's really hard. Like I like I struggle a lot with the dysmorphia of still seeing the person that I was before that I'm not now. Like mm-hmm. I still look in the mirror and see that person. Um, so having to really find that level of of just strength and confidence and 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 training my brain of not like I, like I literally will visualize something that's not there. Um, and then the grief. Like mm-hmm. I lost a person. Yeah. And I, and I, it sounds so crazy saying out loud, like, oh, you're you're grieving from from losing weight. Like you should be ecstatic. And I am ecstatic. Like I'm I'm healthier, but I'm but I am in a deep state of grief. No, that to me, when I hear stuff like that, that doesn't sound crazy to me at all, because I know processes. Mm-hmm. Energy cannot be created or destroyed, mm-hmm. only transformed or transferred your whole life was wrapped around that your your old self mm-hmm. no matter whether you again back to the, if you were an NBA player right and right. you're no longer an NBA player right there's a whole part of you that died yeah and the level <laughs> of overcompensation you do when you're at certain states yeah so a lot of times like the stereotype on TV where you see the funny big girl mm. or the you know the mm. loud obnoxious yeah. big girl why 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 is that a thing because the reality is 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 some you know some stereotypes hold some truth in them yeah. and when you're at that when you're at a certain size you try to overcompensate mm. to try to ch- change the perspective or or the you know how someone is viewing you and so if i can be funny if i can dress well if i can be witty maybe you won't notice what i look like physically and mm. so you're also I'm in a state It's like of, the short man Yeah, syndrome, the right? short man itis, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's, so it's like I'm I'm also grieving that because now I'm having to reprogram not having to overcompensate. Like I don't have to be That's that. why I tell people you're not your trauma pattern. Mm-hmm. You're not your trauma personality. So this idea of our personality, a lot of it is wrapped up in our traumas or our beliefs. Yeah. So when you start to unravel those and I'm going to be a new person, there's grief. This everybody just look at this. When Michael B. Jordan was playing Killmonger, mm-hmm. 
afterwards, he had to go to therapy. Because when you play a different person, you start to lose sight of who you are. Right. And it's hard to integrate that new person. I mean, uh, Heath Ledger, after he played Joker, Joker, he died. Yeah. I mean, they don't make that correlation. I make that correlation because I'm like, have you seen the Joker? Yeah. Have you ever seen? And he went to a dark state. You got to go to a dark place. I was, I used to act. Mm-hmm. I used to act. And one time I was on stage and I had to cry. And I remember my uh, director was like, man, you got to tap into some like old pain or something. That would, I was on stage weeping. <laughs> I couldn't turn it off. Yeah. I was bawling. Yeah. I'm like trying to do my lines. Like, <laughs> man. I'm bawling. I can't even get it out. And at the end, I'm like, they probably like, damn, that was an amazing <laughs> performance. I'm like, no, nah, that was some unhealed trauma coming up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, to me, for other people who are listening, it's like, no, that's normal. Like, you grieve. Like, we all are grieving just what our lives used to be like before the pandemic. But it's just so crazy to me to be grieving when you get to a new state of of something better. Like, yeah, why do we grieve the bad part that we're leaving? Like, it, it's... Uh, because the thermodynamics, it's, it's, the, it's the process of the thermodynamics. The issues are in the tissues, and we haven't hit all layers. When you start working on those other layers, that grief starts to dissipate a lot more. When you try to do it a lot, all with willpower, or willpower of thought, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, I'm not going to have that drink, or I'm not going to eat. What if you, my thought process is get to the place where it ain't even a thought? Why? Because the body, I just, I've conditioned it so well that it's not even something I want. I don't have to like, oh my God, they just brought alcohol in the room, so I gotta, I gotta use some willpower. Right. Like that's to me, that's not how it's how it is. It's retrain enough to the point where, again, you see Steph Curry shoot that shot. That's automatic because he's been in an environment and and practicing in an environment that's going to allow him to have that muscle memory. I think it's the same way with with any other thing of changing how we are. Yeah. Going from one state to the next. Um, but but grief and loss is a whole process. And we talked off air, too, about uh, grief of, let's say, having a baby. Mm-hmm. And that baby was inside you for nine months and now is not. And so you go through postpartum and you can educate me on even deeper on yeah. On that. Yeah, I um when I had my daughter I had really bad postpartum depression and so there's there's different layers of postpartum depression. You mm. see sometimes the women who um after they have a child they don't want anyone to touch the child. They're mm. so attached to the child that it's like they think that there's no one who can do anything for the child other than them and they create this this very high level of anxiety of something happening. Um, and so you have that side of it. And then you have my side that I experience where I have thoughts of harming the child. Mm. Um, and so I didn't have this natural connection. And so when you hear, again, the movies uh, who say, as soon as the baby was born, I just was so in love. And so mm. for me, as soon as the baby was born, I didn't feel I didn't feel this natural like love. I didn't feel this... Like, oh, my life is complete. Mm. I literally looked at her and was like, oh, my God, it's a it's a it's a thing. <laughs> like it's a being like it's this mm. human. Mm-hmm. And it, it was still sometimes to this day, it's still hard to wrap my mind around that. Um, but for almost two years, like I had no connection. I didn't like when she touched me like mm. it was just very I'd be very averse to that. Um, I'd had thoughts of of throwing her down the steps or just leaving her mm. at a fire station, mm. um, and to sh- you know it's not 
it was always deemed as not normal to have those thoughts, to, sh- to even share them. And so if I tried to share them to friends or family, it was like, like, girl, you crazy. Or you're not the only person who ever had a kid. You know, though that was the feedback. Mm-hmm. When I finally shared it with my doctor, my OBGYN at the time, the first was just, well, here, take some Zoloft. Mm. Um and for me, in my mind at that time, I just didn't feel like like the antidepressant was like I felt like it was so much deeper than just like let me go take some Zoloft. Um, and it it took a while. It took some time. And then the, the irony um, when one day it literally just kind of like connected, like and I felt it in my spirit. We were driving and we were stuck on traffic. She's in the back seat. She's about mm. two and a half. And there was this terrible accident. I mean, like terrible. And I just kind of felt chills, like, man, like, a, you know, a, you, you felt like someone had to have probably lost their life. And in that moment, I thought to myself, and I said, God, like, if if it had to be me, like, let her live. And that was, like, in that moment, um, I felt just some sort of shift, like, where I just, you know, finally felt this connection with her. It took a lot of time. Like, I would cry, like, when I would have these thoughts of harming her. And I'd just be like, I don't want to think this. I don't want to feel this. And I just didn't know what to do. Like, there was no, you know, write write down how you feel and then connect it. But I definitely think that there was a layer, a long layer of my own trauma as a child, my own abuse as a child. Mm. Because even as she was getting older, my first response was definitely one that was abusive because that was what I knew. Like, when I was a kid, there was no talking. It was, I'm going to hit you in your face. So mm. I had to even reprogram how I even discipline, mm. let alone talk yeah. to her and not and it not be like my first response. I'm going to bust you in the face because that literally was natural for me. They say there's no no cause of postpartum depression. I think that's bullshit. There's always a cause of everything. Yeah. And you just said something. You were closed. We said it in the beginning. <laughs> Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You were in a closed system, yeah. right? And here it is, you're giving birth, but you're still in closed system. But right. it took an accident for you to, to open up and feel that. It's interesting, but but I think I think if you go and you you probably had this conversation with women who have experienced postpartum. Yeah, yeah, they say it's hormonal, but why is the hormones off? And was the hormones already off? Right, we weren't testing that. Right. We weren't testing if the hormones were really off, right? And I think going into it, knowing like if you're already suffering or dealing with certain things, um, we go into it so unprepared as to how that can transition down mm. and what that's going to look like. Yeah. So I'm already, you know, dealing on the spectrum of depression, of mm. obesity, of all these other things. And then I have this kid and without any regard to... Like, I don't, I've, you know, in saying this out loud, I don't think a lot of women ever think about what their mental health is before they have a child. No, and it, and it transfers to the child while you're there in the womb. Yeah. And so the, the question is, when, when you were younger, did you even feel love for yourself? No, I mean, to this day, I, I, you know, being vulnerable with you, 
even as a grown adult, I am still learning how to love myself. Like, but as a child, I, the appropriate or what I think was appropriate of how I feel our parents should instill the first step of love for ourselves was not instilled. And so I went through life chasing that um, by any means necessary. And Mm. so even now as an adult, like I still work on like that part of loving myself regardless. Right. And that's not just you, though. Right. That's all of us. <laughs> I just start figuring out how to love myself more. I'm like, oh, you know what? This is how you love yourself. Yeah. I got to the point where I fig- I figure, I feel it. I didn't figure it out. I filled it out. Mm-hmm. And I had to dissipate. And I had a great childhood. It just lets you know that you you still going to not go from childhood unscathed. Right. You're going to experience trauma. You're going to experience things. From that point, it's like, okay, well... Who is it up to to start the process of peeling those layers back of all this bullshit and shit we had thrown on top of us? And now you think you are who society tells you who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. That's not. No. Who who are you? Who do you want to be? Yes. I always tell people, am I talking to you or am I talking to your representative? Mm-hmm. Because your representative is is the conditioning. But underneath the surface, there's a, there's a you who's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk like that. I don't want to sound like that. Being growing up in Detroit as a black man, you weren't going to listen to certain music. Yeah. Because you 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 weak. <laughs> when I moved to Miami, I was like, yo, these black dudes got mad freedom down here. <laughs> like I'm like, they they got the little the little beads on the neck and stuff. They 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 going to the beach. They like doing a merengue. Yeah, they doing a merengue. <laughs> like they they don't they don't wear they don't care about no Jordans. Right. They don't care about no Cartier glasses. They ain't care about no Coogees. And I was just like, I was going through that shock. And I had and it was good though, because it gave me the ability to go and start to be somebody different Mm -hmm. than who I was my society or my culture says you got to be like this to be this type of black man yeah you know and it's like that's that's not true but I think we're all in this process don't you think yeah I you know one of the things I always say is that I I really hope to see more people live authentically like to to just live in their truth of whatever Mm -hmm. that may mean for on a variety of different things, you know, physically, sexually, emotionally. I think that a lot of us, like, even on the conversation of religion, and I always ask people, do you believe that? Or was it yeah, that your parents yeah. believe that because you were raised in church? Like, I want to know what you believe and I want to know why. Oh, that's a big one. So <laughs> where are you at on that 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 that's religious spectrum? Because we're going through a great awakening and everybody's really kind of, as George Michael had a song, Lose My Religion. Yeah, I, um, my parents, you could have, I wouldn't want to say they were darn near atheists, but my grandparents were not. And so I was always drugged into church. Um, but I always would ask questions. Well, mm-hmm. then why? Or that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I hate to, like, I'm not now one of those, like, conspiracy type mm-hmm. of religion people. Yeah. But I am one of those people who are like, if I, whatever I believe, I want to have a basis for why I believe in it. And yeah. so when I say, like, I believe in God, I believe in God now, not because 
I have I actually have no belief in the Bible to an extent. Mm. Um, I believe that there are a lot of elements of the Bible that may have came from certain places that historically, yeah. but in the elements in the way that it was written, I do not believe that to be true. But uh, I, when I believe in certain things now, it's because I can feel it in my spirit. I can feel it in the energy mm-hmm. and and I can I can and if I can literally feel that I know that it is not of a regular f- source cuz it doesn't yes. feel that way yeah. and that is like where I'm at with it same um, I, I I was heavily in church. I did a whole episode called Awakening from the Trauma Matrix Part 2. I talk about my whole church experience mm-hmm. and transitioning and you know it, society typically likes to ask you and I know when I get this question I know where a person is so what do you believe <laughs> like if they ask you what you believe and you say yeah well I don't want to believe in anything and they say but you but you believe in God right and I'm like Let that. <laughs> that thought process to me is so it's very I don't want to call it small thinking because I'm trying I'm not trying to offend anybody but it's it's very small thinking because it's so it's so much bigger than God. Yeah. Well, it's it's we are God. Yes. Yeah. Okay? In the image, um, right? It, it, <laughs> like like if you go to the ocean and you take two glasses from the ocean and you bring it and you set it on this table, is that not the ocean? Right. If if you're gonna go along the whole thought process of God pulled us out of the dirt, right? Well, who did that? What did he fashion us out of material that he made? If we're going to go with he, she, right. let's just go down that whole thought process Yeah, that he made. So that's us. How can we not be that? Right. How can we not be our creator's creation and not be a creator? Because guess what we're doing? The same thing God does. Create. Create. <laughs> Create more of creations. No, I believe that for sure. People come out of people. It's the most. I sat there one day and I just saw this meme on the internet and it had these little, these little like Russian dolls and they had them spread out where more purse people kept coming out of the next one. The next one, I was just like, that's all we do. Create more of us. Yeah. It's like that's God. Yeah. That's nature. Nature is in a constant state of. Rest and creation. And that's why mentally, emotionally, we are unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Because we want to stay in a state of creating without resting. We got to rest. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole society got grind hard and hustle hard and all this. I, I, like, where's the rest? Where's the rest and where's the reprogramming? Right. That's, that's to me, that's the mental wealth, inner wealth. That's what we're doing. That's what we're helping people to do. That's what your podcast is helping the people to do. Yeah, absolutely. And break through paradigms. I remember I remember I was on your podcast. I said something to you. I remember your face then <laughs> when I said it. Because you was like, wait, because I can't remember I said something about ADHD. And you were like, wait. I could, I could feel like you were like, wait. And I just, I knew where you were, though. I knew you were in a certain paradigm of a thought process. Mm-hmm. And there's certain paradigms that's changing now with this even depression as being like forever we learned that it was a, a chemical imbalance. That's false. We're learning that that's false. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're not experiencing depression. It just means that's not a root cause. And it never was a root cause because even with the chemical imbalance theory, it's like, 
Okay, so what's the root cause of the chemical imbalance? Right. Uh, I don't know. That's science. That's that's the medical world. I don't know, but that's why that's not true. Like, let's go back and look. Depression can be a lot of things. Depression is mostly uh, serotonin is mostly made up in your gut, but they're giving you drugs to alter your brain. A kind of wrong brain, you know? Right. So all these thought processes, I had to go down these rabbit holes when I was first starting because I had all these limiting beliefs about how stuff was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And if I stuck with them, I would still be having panic attacks. I would still be depressed. I would still have back pain. I would still have insomnia because I didn't challenge what society was telling me. Yeah. So you've been challenging a lot of things. So where are you at now? And your what's the next thing for you to man um, break free from? You know, one of the things I definitely want to continue to break free with the way that I view myself. Mm. That shifting that narrative, that perspective. Um, I had started a brand called Fearless Influence, where I really focus a lot on shifting the perspective on how we view and and, and think about things, trying to do inspiration. I'm talking a lot about motherhood and mental health just across the board, like I, you know, from antidepressants to just, you know, really challenging, like, like I do acupuncture. I do mm-hmm. chiropractic care, and I really, really love my acupuncturist. But a lot of times, you know, similar to Inception, people don't um, constitute these things as a form of wellness mm-hmm. and what it can do and how it can trigger. Um, so it for me, it's been a lot of shifting in terms of what you said, um, of trying to tell the thinking in a different way mm-hmm. and what that looks like and, and the whys and where's the root. And even that is a grieving process because the onions that you continue to uncover mm-hmm. or the things like even when we were talking about like the weight earlier and I'm like, like blinking my eyes fast because it's still such a trigger for me that mm. it causes an emotional reaction every time. Yeah, it's like we had someone on the uh, podcast who's uh, a really you know big personal trainer, and like that was one of the hardest episodes I had to get through because it was like the conversation shifted where we kept talking about you know my weight loss journey and what she's doing and stuff like that, and I'm like literally <laughs> in tears because I'm trying to you know overcome this grief, you know, and so. The next step is is continuing to do the work and uncover those layers, those onions. Um, and, and it feels like every time I think that I've uncovered a, one layer, there all of a sudden seems to be another layer. And, and also trying to understand that it's a timely process because mm. the onion wasn't just built. Right. Um, but I try to work faster. Like, oh, <laughs> I yeah. wanted to go away sooner. I wanted to go away quicker. But I do think that by challenging my beliefs, it has led me to a place of believing in things that I never believed in before, mm. but in a, in a, a magnetic way, in an energy way. Yeah. Like the way that I see the world, like the the universe, like it's so different. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so vast and um, so amazing. And at, at one point, I felt like my body was failing me because mm-hmm. I was having, I was throwing up and I was having a lot of panic attacks. I couldn't even work anymore. Right. So I thought my body failed me. Mm-hmm. And probably within the last year, I was just so amazed that like my body has never failed me. Right. It's the only thing that's truly 100% loved you unconditionally in your life. That, that, that like, when you really feel that and you're like, because if you look and see how your body is trying to wire itself and like, that's all symptomology is. 
It's the body trying to adapt to. Now, it don't care that you ain't sleeping well. They're like, you alive, though? <laughs> <laughs> That's the body. The, the right. brain and the body like, you alive? Okay, you may not be sleeping well. You may not be able to focus on one thing at a time or two things at a time. But you're alive. Yeah. And that's what the body mainly cares about. The rest is on us to support the body. But when you look at it, we keep talking about trauma and, and all that. I don't want to talk about the fight, flight, freeze response as a bad thing. It's an automatic defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. We're robots. And it's like, hey, that's a threat. Shoot that thing. Get away from that thing. Fight that thing. And when you're done and you run away and you're like, well, I got post-traumatic stress because the brain is like, yo, I'm making sure that this shit don't happen again. Mm-hmm. Those symptoms aren't, they, they, they feel bad to us, but that's just the brain's way to trying to protect us. From there, we got to figure out what's the best way I can support you, body. You know, it's funny. Um, my last therapy session, we talked about triggers and mm-hmm. and how your triggers don't are, are sometimes just necessarily what you just said are warnings mm-hmm. to you know what has maybe taken place or what is taking place. But like you you just said, we have to decide like how do we respond to that? Like what is what are our values? What are mm-hmm. we going to choose to respond once we feel that trigger? Once we feel that warning more so? Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a hard state to be at uh, to make that decision to choose like okay I get this warning how am I going to respond to it? See, and that's the problem. That's where talk therapy starts to come, where you can have the conscious conference conversation, but the body does not allow you enough space mm-hmm. to make between stimulus and response. That space, this is stimulus and response. So if you're triggered. You're easily, you're there. We're touching. Right. We need space. That's what love does. Love <laughs> opens you up. Love. To have space, to knowledge, something can trigger. Oh! But I'm I'm relaxed back down. Yeah. Now, oh, but I'm still up. Now I'm up. Now yeah. I can't relax. It's like, oh, for a second, and then relax back down. Right. Like, that's 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 how we're designed. And you aren't your trigger. And so when you start to get enough space, and this is what I've experienced in my own journey and doing all this work. I mean, I, I've done, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I have enough space now where I totally understand I'm just the observer. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not the thing. I'm not the thought. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, you think about your thoughts. That's not you. Those yeah. are just thoughts. Yeah. No, I had a uh, I had a life coach say, you know, facts aren't feelings and thoughts don't feel. And then mm, how say that again. Facts aren't feelings and thoughts don't feel. Wow. And because uh, I was upset and I was saying, oh, I feel this way. And she was like, is that the what happened or is that what you feel happened? And is what ever did happen, how is it serving you? Yes. And how are you going to reprogram that thought? Because, you know, are your, she, she would always say, are your thoughts serving you? <laughs> I would get so angry, like, but I'm trying to think of a different thought. And so, but I never forgot that because it, it was true. It, it is true. It is, it is, it, this is a machine. And when you look at it as such and you look at your thoughts as just, that's just your processing. That's not real. 70 to 90% of hospital visits are due to stress-related illnesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of our stress is not the saber-toothed tiger anymore. 
It's looking at a bill and thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> Who going to pay that? Me. Yeah. <laughs> and your brain does has the same reaction as the saber-toothed tiger. Right. A lot of it is perceptional threat. And a lot of it is uh, the brain, again, making associations to past things that happened. And now that's your new thing that's mm-hmm. happening. It's like the fear. You have real life fear that can happen that can cause you to go into these states in front of you and you can have the perceived and it's no different. You know, and it's like when you get enough space again, you don't you don't knee jerk reaction over everything. So you you're on your journey. I see you. I see what you're doing. <laughs> like I, I I appreciate it and I understand uh where you were saying too with the fitness person, especially if it's around something that you it feels like a battle, don't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it feels like a, a straight-up battle. And I can see, too, why when I said that about the, eight, the ADHD, it was like, no, oh, no, no, you're wrong. Like, that's a battle. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I, I, I had clients do that. Mm-hmm. I had a client where she, she so held on. I'm like, I'm holding this mic. Held on to her ADHD. And I didn't understand, like, why are you holding on so much to that? Because our stories, like, they, they, they're who we are. Right. And we feel like that's who we are. Right. So, like, you're navigating, you're creating a new story. So, what's what's the ultimate story for yourself that you want to, that you, what do you think that is, the ultimate story for yourself? You know, I definitely uh, think that ultimate story would be reaching a state of, a state of peace, like a state of like when you when you say to yourself like what you just said you know I'm at a place where I'm an observer like mm. when I can be at a place of observation where I can where I can really sit inside of self and you know and not have those knee jerk reactions or I can I can just you know bring myself back to a state of peace if I lose that state because you know mm-hmm. sometimes you you don't always stay in that state no you don't but if I can if I can find that oneness and bring myself back down like you know being at that place and just the level of just continued grace in terms of how I even interact with people I just that state of love like I I want to continue to live a life that's filled with more love because I feel like that love is is bringing peace is bringing healing is is connecting me to others and that's the ultimate for me. How do you feel now? You feel at peace? I feel I'm, I feel I'm getting there. Mm. I feel like like when you mentioned the battle like I feel like I'm still battling myself. Well, if you slice it into a pie, how much peace you got now? Cause it's it's never like it's never like peace, no peace. It's like, well, out of scale of one to ten, I probably got about an eight. Yeah. So at least you got some slices. I got in some there. slices. Even, even if you got two, I I do got some slices. Cause just like I, how I said, the way that I view the world, the way that I feel grounding. Like, no, I felt you when you said that. Yeah. So it's something in there. It's something. It's something. I got a little something <laughs> in the le- pot. You got at least a four or five. <laughs> I do. <laughs> right. I definitely get get my numbers are getting yeah, higher. Yeah. So I think that's how we look at it in terms of like we even when I talked about happy, it's not like happy, not happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what's my happiness pie? Where am I at? Yeah. You know, if I'm a five or six, well, shit, I got some slices. Right. I'm good. But it's going to always be something that can knock you down from a 10 to a to a seven, eight. I don't want to get back to the place I'm in a one. Right. I'm bad. I refuse <laughs> to get there. I don't know what it is, but I refuse. Like, I do feel like we are in charge of once we once we get the information once we get the tools, once we understand the process, I do feel like it is our responsibility to try to maintain and further that process. So for me to go to a one and stay at a one, at that point, I feel like it's been a choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that from from your podcast that you do or does the people you talk to, have you find that to be a common hard thing for people to come to with? And I've seen it with our people where it's like self-responsibility. Uh, I think like it's almost not even acknowledged. Mm. Like it's almost as though like, no, 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 it's 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 not a choice. Like it's, it's how you mentioned with your patients, like it's mm. a hormonal thing. And and yes, there are some hormonal yes. things, um, and I don't want to negate that mm-hmm. or offend anyone on that. But yes, there's also there's a, there's a level of consciousness and level of choice in that too, a level mm-hmm. of accountability, mm-hmm. and that's the part where you know I I also keep emphasizing to people like you know my grief is true, but my accountability is also true. Yeah, and so I have to deal with both of them. Yeah. And it's like like Will Smith was saying, there's this video where Will Smith was saying, like, no, that stuff that happened to you, that wasn't your fault, but it's your responsibility. Because yes. who else is going to come and do it for you? Absolutely. What do you, I know you, I noticed you have a, a, a letter K in America. Like, why, why is that purposely? <laughs> I've seen that before in my life. It was an Ice Cube album, though. So, <laughs> so we tell put, me about that. <laughs> we put the, so the original name, it was still going to be American Therapy, but it was going to have three Ks. Like KKK. Yes. That's what, so that's, yes. that's Ice Cube, first that's of all. That's where it came yeah. from. It came, what was Ice Cube's? He had an album. It was called American. It was either Ice Cube or Spice One. I don't that know. That had three Ks in it. Yeah. That's why I, when you when I saw it, I was like, so the reason why I asked you that question, Co, tell me, because you y'all see something that I see, and I'm that's why I'm, I want to go there. Is like this K, the state of the mental health between black people and a white uh, system that's racist yeah. system. Like there's a mental health component going on that we're playing. I think that we're we're in a we're codependent to a narcissistic system. That's how I feel. Yeah, about it. and and of an oppressed system, <laughs> yeah. you know, a system of oppression. Um, I mean, we really we put the K in there because it it rooted from um, a place of supremacy, mm. uh, a white supremacy. What word did you use? I, I said, uh, when meant to say white supremacy. But you said oppremacy. I said oppremacy. Okay, I thought that was a new word. No, no, say, you caught me. I say, tell me. <laughs> Tell me about the supremacy. I'm like, damn, I ain't never heard that. Okay. <laughs> but stem from that white supremacy. Mm. And uh, and we wanted to showcase and highlight, highlight the distinct differences between mm. the state of, of black people, mental health, and the differences in, in how we're fighting and navigating mm. through a world that is not, you know, fighting for us. And so mm. our level of healing is going to look very different than a white person's level of healing. Yeah. And it's going to be harder because we still, after that trauma we still after that sitting in that piece have to go back to the other other spot we got to bring ourselves back down so i've seen it in real time a lot of my clients in the beginning for the probably the first seven eight years probably longer than that <laughs> were white yeah and so seeing us come in and doing one circuit and we're like blown away i'm like why is this happening like this i'm like man we have a large number of unresolved mental, emotional mm-hmm. traumas built inside of our body. We're literally, I mean, think about it. Everywhere we go, it's like in the back of our head that we're not safe, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Or we're not good enough, you know? And that, like, so what is that? And I I said on the way here to uh, a friend of mine who's driving me here, and I said, we saw, I saw a white person run down the street. And I've said this before. I'm like, 
white people just live with a level of freedom that we, we just don't, don't have. have. Yeah, we don't have. And then we don't even choose to live in it, even if there's very few black people I know who are like, I'm going to live in a state of freedom regardless of the oppression that I'm in. And, you know, and then we we get into situations even with each other of how we treat each other because of mm. what we're dealing with. You know, when we mm. look at the state of the relationship sometimes between the black man and black woman or just in the way that, you know, in business, so many different. There's so many layers to it. Let's talk about that for a second. The state of men and women had the same conversation because of Kevin Samuels thing came up and it's like. Um, somebody was saying, and and we're a good friend of mine, and, and and they know when I when they talk to me that I'm gonna give an honest opinion about things, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody. But there's a lot of things that Kevin Samuel says that I think is right. There's a lot of things that I don't think is right. Right. But I understand what he's trying to say. I understand. It's some things that Candace Owen says that I think is like you're right. But then I, there's some things that I think you're wrong. Right. But I'm at a place in my life where I can sit and listen. And take what I can and remove the rest. Remove the rest. Because yeah. I'm not triggered. Because a lot of people, when they listen, they, the trigger stops you from listening. Yeah. It closes you down. You're not open. Right? But if you look at our our, our relationships with, with each other, like, let's go look at the root causes. Mm-hmm. Like, they used to have uh, breeding camps for us. They would sexually abuse our women and rape them in front of us. Like... The the homes men were taken from out of the homes. It's all these different things. It's like, yeah, we should be at odds with each other based on the amount of stuff we've been through. Yeah. So why sit here and go do this to you? Yeah. It is you, woman. You the black woman. You mess me up, and why do the same for me? Right. What I need, what I see is doing is doing what we're doing. I'm gonna go do my healing work. You go do your healing yeah. work. And, and we then that's come pro- in the middle. And we gotta approach each other with love, man. Yeah. Like love, like, and it's so hard. It's you know, it's it's it, even in like relationships that I've dealt with. It, the hardest thing that I've seen that we that we have to do is love each other. Like we have mm. such a hard time loving and trusting each other for good reason. For good reason. Yeah, for good reason. They they again, trust is about what safety, feeling, feeling safe, feeling and, safe. And, and when in four hundred years have we really? I think we probably feel more safe than we do now than mm-hmm. we ever have. Right? right. So I say there is progression. There is progression, but. Still, like we have to, we have to get wealthy so we can leave the hood. <laughs> like, why? Why are we leaving our places? Why is it danger there? Because right. the people are not safe yeah. within themselves. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we. That's that's interesting. That that K. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have white people in your show? You know, we do. Ha- they know about the K. <laughs> like, I don't know if they've ever thought about, it, but we have an Asian who's coming on for the first oh, time. Oh, really? And so that'll be our first Asian. And we actually had one show where we had we now have had two shows where we've had white people on. And it was the first time that we had done that. Mm. Um, and so we we've thought about it from the perspective of not changing the narrative of the show. They are aware of it's this definitive podcast on black mental health. Mm. So you're coming on a black mental health show, um, but trying to bring a different perspective too, hopefully. And that's 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 changed drastically in the last fifteen years from what I've seen it because saying the name Doctor Doctor Sabi, yeah, back when I first started, like, nah, you're gonna look that like crazy. Like now, people having me on the show, and I'm saying all types of crazy stuff mm-hmm. that like to people is like that's crazy. Yeah. So, but have you seen any of Charlemagne's new show, um, um, The Guy's Honest Truth? I haven't. And 
what stuff he's saying is like he got a whole thing called decrackify America. <laughs> <laughs> he got a shirt that says decrackify America. I'm like, yo, this dude is pushing mad limits. <laughs> like, cause you seen it like with like um what's the dude name? What's the what's the one big radio personality name um who's very popular? He's just be saying some Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like Howard Stern, but in our favor. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not BS. It's true. It's how we feel. Because yeah. you know how we talk when we with each other. It's, yeah. a, it's a familiarity. It's like, yeah, it's a totally different type each of other talk. That, yeah. You know, I feel like we feel safe in that at least. Mm-hmm. Do you think so? I think so. Have you have you felt that from the guests coming on your podcast? Do you feel like there's a sense of safety with black people talking to other black people with... It, on a, a mental health show? I think it depends on who the guest is and what they're mm. talking about because sometimes we get people, you know, who are still living in their unhealed state or their mm. false sense of state or sometimes, you know, you have this pretentiousness of, like, uh, the battle of, well, I'm a psychologist, well, I'm a psychiatrist. Mm. You know, it, it's almost as if, like, we're fighting each other in certain instances or, I mean, quite odd, God's honest truth, we've had, you know, guests who weren't black who would show up then the guests that were black who were trying to help and support, you know, this community um, and it's in the response has sometimes been, well, who are you? Like, are you important enough? Are you big mm. enough? Yeah. And that was hard because we're like, <laughs> like, we got to give each other love. Like, we yeah. got to show each other, you know, that love so that we can keep helping each other. So we've had mm. to fight through a lot of that. And I've done so much work on myself and, and spent so much time in the industry and building what I was building to the point where it didn't matter who I was talking to. Mm-hmm. Psychiatrist, MD, because I've talked to all of them. And I've seen them all. And I'm like, y'all still got y'all stuff. Like, them degrees does not change anything Nothing. about your mental, emotional state of being. Because there's a lot of therapists. And, and it's not me calling them out. It's just like, it's a lot of them who never even started the process of doing their own work. Yeah, It's like, how are you even? It's kind of weird. Absolutely. You know, but um, but you're right. It's just about building up the value. That's why I feel like. I took my health from one state to the next. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me. I'm like, Jeezy, you can't tell me nothing, man. <laughs> like, there's nothing you can tell me. And I've and not just that, I've helped other people do it. Right. So when I see it, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I had a black psychiatrist. He's on my board. And he sat with me multiple times. He's like, dude, what you're doing is 100% correct. And that just made me feel. And, and I can feel him, though, feel burnt out from doing the opposite because you're in a system that tells you you got to medicate mm-hmm. we ain't getting to no roots take this drugs and it, it, you may need to take the drugs but that doesn't mean that you but how long are you gonna take it for yeah forever Where we get into the root yeah like we never get into the root issue so so all these things are just saying it's just like guess what's happening love is opening up because as we heal, we open up, we have more empathy for each other. Yeah. You finding that? Yeah. I think the more that we heal, the more that we heal others. Are you finding, do you, are you finding from the podcast people are coming to you and, and having, um, feeling grateful for what you've, what you've done? 
the things you've been talking about and opening up to? Yeah, I think even if they don't do it in public, we've definitely gotten some things in private. You know, a lot mm. of the videos and even things that I've posted myself for my own brand, you know, it's a lot of people who've reached out to me who won't say anything, you know, mm. out loud, um, but will privately message me and say, hey, this is impacting me. This is changing my life or, or who are, are willing to just randomly share their story. Um, so I think that that it's happening and it, but it, it's it's it may be happening in a way that might not always be as noticeable, but it's happening. And that transition of just being able to even put the idea in someone's mind that they can heal mm. is is yeah. a good thing. It's, like it's possible. Absolutely. And I, I think I have the uh, the title because you know I come up with all my titles after the fact of having a podcast. And what's the name of your brand again? Fearless Influence. And that's where we are. It's the fearless, not just the influence, but it's being. Fear less. Not that you don't fear at all. Yeah. But fear less because the fear is shutting us down. The fear is closing the possibilities. Right. The fear keeps us where we've been in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to fully heal, we have to go from that close rows with the stem, with the with the little, what do they call them? The, um, the pricks. What do they call it? Like. On a, on a road. Oh, the thorn. The thorns. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how we are. We want to smell the rose, but it's got, it's filled with thorns, man. And it's like, and it's in a protective state. We need to open back up and become fearless and reconnect back with one in, with one another. Yeah. That's, that's what it's about. Absolutely. So I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, um, also one last thing. Tell me again about your your last experience at Inception. What what was that like? So when I did all the circuits, the both okay. circuits. Yeah, both circuits. You didn't do the red light bed though, right? The red light bed, red light bed. No, no, I don't do think so. No, okay. I would remember that. Okay. So I got to do that one. Okay. Um, and it was just an amazing experience, a state of zen, a state of peace afterwards. The, I was telling you the two that I love the most, that I, the one where you, you're hooking it up to the brain training, the brain training, mm-hmm. and you kept hearing the beeps. So and that's, the music. Your bra- that's your brain. Yeah. The skips, pause, and interrupts. My joint was skipping. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm like, oh, so I'm thinking, there's something wrong with my brain. Oh, my God. Because it was just skipping away. Mm. So that one, I just, I don't know. I love that one. And then the other one, um, before you do that one. Magnosphere. The Magnosphere. Mm. That definitely put me in a, a not, not comatose, but like just this state of meditation of oneness that is very hard for me to find naturally. Um I love that. I love the lymphatic massage on the legs. Mm. Um, I will say, and I'm hoping over time that can change. Uh, I definitely, I found it really hard to kind of like sit still for the the sauna part, and and because I'm I'm still I'm trying to find state of relaxation. I'm trying mm. to find you know continue that peace. But doing all of that circuit, like I know when I left there, I just was like, hmm. yeah. I'm just I'm calm. Like I felt calm. Yeah. So. I'm literally breaking, not not breaking down, I don't want to use that word, but again, it's getting the body to deal with you from the, the humanistic standpoint, not just stick, stuck in your head. Yeah. So you'll find that once the body relaxes, again, you got that space. Now when you go back and you do therapy sessions, you'll have a... Yeah, no, I told you, I was just telling you, experience. maybe once a month, once every two months, I'm going to be taking a flight out here. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, again, that's the that's the... 
that's the the quickest way to really get back to a state of some type of uh, normalcy. A baseline is by doing body work, brain and body work. Then I'm gonna hit you up and hit you with the Jeezy line. <laughs> with that, you, <laughs> you can't, can't tell, tell me, me nothing. nothing. <laughs> True. Listen, when you heal all the way, you can't tell me nothing. Yeah. Till next time, guys. All right. La, 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 You've been la, listening la, to the In the Wealth Podcast la, on EYL. La, la, la. Theme song produced by Be Ready for West Coast Creations. I am Razcast, reminding you to take action, be proactive, be congruent, get out of the matrix, get your mind right. We've automated mental health at inception. Join the movement. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.